0: Back to the Brazos Point living room. This week we have myself, Joseph Castillo. We have Michelle Masterson. Hey guys. And we have Randy Dane. Bienvenidos. Yeah. Also known as the Three Amigos. If you are returning, thanks again for listening. And if this is your first time, our hope with this podcast is to turn Sunday's message into a conversation with real people, and have some discussion about the big questions of life, and grow together, be challenged, and also have some fun along the way. And so this week we're talking about John 5 and uh, jumping right in. The first question, guys, is simply, what was something you really wanted as a kid? Maybe there was a commercial that you saw you wanted or other kids all had this thing. What was it that you just really had to have?
1: When I was really little, maybe five-ish, I wanted a Radio Flyer Red Wagon. And I wanted it so bad when I it's got so it. classic. Yeah classic (laughs) (laughs) when i got it i got it on uh, christmas eve at my my mom and papa's house we immediately put it together brought it home that night and i slept in it what yeah took (laughs) took and turned it into a bed with a blanket and a pillow and all spent all night in the red wagon nice did you ever
2: do that again no it was once it it was horribly uncomfortable (laughs) best i can remember
1: (laughs) i was gonna ask
0: if you ever got the thing well even a
1: five-year-old is longer than a red wagon a
0: red wagon oh no Keep going. Um, what about you, Michelle?
2: I can remember really wanting a pool and I can remember <laughs> really wanting a house with stairs and it had nothing to do with like <laughs> house size or, so or, or how many rooms. I'm right there. Had. I'm with you as a kid. It was just that the house was arranged into two different stories. It was so cool to me. I and there were stairs.
0: I remember that. I remember yeah. being like going to friends' houses and they had two floors and I was just amazed. Wow. As far See, as
2: things I saw a commercial for though, I really wanted one of those, what are they called? Big wheels where like it actually drives. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, the freedom. <laughs> <laughs> you could go anywhere freedom. Yeah. <laughs> I could go two houses down. Where they have stairs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pool, and Uh, I was just over there in Haltham City sleeping in my red wagon. wagon. (laughs) Poor (laughs) Andy, put me behind your big wheels. Uh, What did you want?
0: Uh, Well, I kind of forgot to think through this, (laughs) but the first thing that comes to mind, which is a really random take on this question, I always wanted siblings. (laughs)
2: The grass is always uh, greener, right? Right.
0: Uh, I know. The kid with siblings uh, wants none. The one without I wants know. many. If you didn't know? I don't have siblings, uh, but in hindsight, I feel so bad for my parents because they wanted to have more kids, they just weren't able to. But for everything, I would ask for my birthday, "What do you want? I want siblings." Oh. For Christmas, "What do you want? Siblings?" I asked Santa
1: for siblings. <laughs> for siblings. Growing oh, up. Wow. Michelle's parents are like, we can't give you a two-story and a pool. And you're like, we can't give you a sibling. (laughs) And Uh, mine gave me the red wagon.
0: Mr. Have-it-all. Yeah. Uh, But shout out to my parents if you're listening. Uh, I feel bad in hindsight. I get it wasn't in their control. Just to have their little son running around asking them for the one (laughs) thing. Asking everyone for siblings. (laughs) I'm curious. Do you think your parents are listening? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Mine aren't. (laughs) (laughs) How funny. All right. Well, this week, as we look at John 5 and continue our journey, we see Jesus interact with a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And after decades of living with his condition, Jesus asks him a seemingly obvious question. So uh, if you read those first few verses, you see kind of the story unfold that Jesus is talking to this man. And he asks them a question of simply, do you want to be healed? So my first question is on the surface, Jesus's question seems to have an obvious answer. But why did he ask if the paraly- paralyzed man wanted to be healed?
1: I, mean, I think this is always true with Jesus when, when he's speaking to. Uh, there's layers of meaning, right? There's layers going on. I don't mean that in a way that it's like, you know, there's hidden meanings necessarily, but like he's Jesus enough that he can speak to his present audience and his future audience all at the same time, because he's just, you know, all knowing that way. Um, So I do think this question was for the man, like really a, a question to his heart and his circumstances, man, you've been laying here for 38 years you've even made some excuses about your inability and, and your lack of help and that kind of thing. So I think he's asking the man. Um, but I also think he, it's for us as the modern day reader, uh, you know, to, to, to think through like on the one hand, why does Jesus ask him that? But then also to recognize Jesus is asking me that, mm-hmm. do I want to get well? Do I want to get well from, uh, the struggles, the hangups, the heart habits, the, the heartaches, the, this, that, and everything else in my life that, you know, um, that he can speak into.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Jesus' all-knowingness, and that's something that's interesting to me, too, is that for Jesus, every question was Captain Obvious because he never asked a question that he didn't already know the answer to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, reading this and and thinking about that question makes me think about other places in the New Testament where we see that Jesus healed people based on their faith. So I wonder about um, if he was asking the man almost to get the man to remember that he had hope or something, you know, like you've been stuck in this situation for a long time Mm -hmm. and we tend to feel hopeless when we're stuck in a situation and don't see a way out or see the way out, but can't get to it on our own. And so, you know, it could be that he was asking him if he wanted to be healed to kind of, you know, stir up that faith in the man.
1: Well, I think you're, your, your point is actually really, really strong in that you look at last week's story and mm-hmm. you've got the desperate father coming to Jesus with faith, begging. And Jesus is actually approaching this man, right? Jesus yeah. finds this man among the many at the pool at Bethsaida. And, and he comes and approaches him and says, do you want to get well? Um, so I, I think you're I think you're right on in regards to stirring faith and seeing. I mean, obviously he knows where the guy's at. Right. But yeah.
0: Well, one thing that stands out to me in this uh, story here is this man has been this way for 38 years and suddenly jesus kind of crossed paths with him and suddenly he's he's healed but i just think about for 38 years this man has been wanting things to be different he's wanting to be uh back to being able to walk and i just think about the timing of that and the amount of time he had to wait and so my next question is have you ever been impatient with god's timing
1: yeah no (laughs) because you got
0: everything you wanted have you ever lied on a podcast i got that red wagon
1: uh i mean who hasn't been impatient with god's timing and 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 knowing you know that we can know the easy answers of uh yeah god does everything in his timing for a reason and sometimes we wait because it's in the waiting that he grows us you know and, and all of that which is true um but man waiting is hard
2: Waiting is hard, and also, as I was thinking through this question earlier, it made me realize what a narrow window I want God to operate within, because I get impatient when I don't think he's doing something fast enough, but I also grow frustrated when it seems like bad things are piling on, like there's an impatience waiting for good things, and then there's a frustration when bad things seem to happen too close to each other. And so I've got God in this narrow window of my timing.
1: Yeah, and I think this piggybacks on the conversation that we've already had too about we live in a in a microwave world where things happen fast, and we expect things to happen quickly. And uh, you know, I saw a meme yesterday that made me laugh. It was it said, you know, like Amazon says, you can expect the package between noon and six. And it was like somebody looking waitingly at the door longingly uh, at twelve oh one. It's like package where you at? You know <laughs> any minute. Kind of thing. Yeah. And so like God makes a promise and he says it's gonna come between twelve and six and at twelve oh one we're like, where are you at? <laughs> and it's like, No, maybe you're waiting till six because I'm gonna grow you in the next six hours. Yeah. I think I took the analogy a little far. <laughs>
0: well, I was
2: about to take it further, so I guess I won't. <laughs> this,
0: this man is like an Amazon package. You get the point. Uh, well, I think when it comes to thinking about God's timing, I think sometimes with the ability to have perspective and looking back, I think sometimes I realize like his timing was perfect. Yes,
2: every time.
0: <laughs> I don't think
1: it's a coincidence that the person that brings you your packages from Amazon is called... Deliverer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Randy. Wow.
2: (laughs) I took it further. (laughs)
0: All right. Well if you continue the story reading uh the rest of it in John, uh we can continue on to see that Jesus eventually heals this man and he tells this man to take up your mat and walk. And this is kind of a big deal because Jewish people were commanded not to perform any work on the Sabbath in remembrance of God's resting on the last day of creation. And this causes the religious leaders to become upset because carrying your mat was considered work by them. And Jesus is the one instructing him to do so. And so the first question to you guys is, is Jesus a Sabbath breaker?
1: Yeah, in a sense, yes. Uh, but I think you start by remembering that Jesus is the Sabbath maker, you know, like he, he <laughs> made these rules, you know, um, and obviously based on the character of God, God's not going to violate a rule that he made mm-hmm. because he's perfect. Um, but at the same time, what's happening here is there's the, the heart of the rule. And then there's the, the, you know, kind of perversions of that rule. And Jesus is holding true to the heart of the rule. And the heart of the rule of the Sabbath is God's, in his goodness, his desire for us to experience rest and to build margin mm-hmm. into our lives, uh, not just for our own well-being, but for worship. Um, and that's the heart of it. And, and, and it was stretched beyond that. Uh, to a sense of legalism that instead of being life-giving was exhausting and suffocating. And uh, and so what Jesus is saying is, you know, hey, let's, uh, let's remember that when a man is healed on the Sabbath, you know, that this is something that's worth celebrating and this also is life-giving. Does
2: that make sense? Yeah. You know, and if you read this story, and I ask myself, like, who in this story am I? Like, I try to put myself in different shoes. And as much as I want to be like the person on the sidelines cheering things on or one of Jesus' disciples witnessing this miracle, sometimes I wonder what it would be like to be one of those Jewish leaders. And like Randy said, you've got to remember that the Sabbath breaker was also the Sabbath maker. But in some ways, I kind of get why it took some time to be convinced of that, because it is such a radical claim. And he backed it up, but it is a radical claim. And so I just, like, I want to think that I would believe, but I can put myself in their shoes at the same time.
1: Well, and I think we got to remember that there are a couple of things going on here. Yes, the extreme religious people added rules to God's commands. That is true. And they took it further than it was intended to go. But at the same time, like an Jesus is
2: analogy, <laughs> at the <laughs> same
1: time, Jesus is coming on the scene. To bring a new covenant that's yeah. based on new and better promises. Mm-hmm. And so there is some uh, fulfillment,
2: yep. right, of that that's Yeah, going these are on. new and better promises that they've been waiting for.
1: Yeah, and there is some transformation that's going on of these things, and and the reason why I bring that up is I'm personally working through the Old Testament right now, and I it is not lost on me that the Lord took the Sabbath seriously. Yes, right. So exactly. these people take the Sabbath seriously. They've Did they add to it and trained. go legalistic on it? Yes, but there at the root of that there is a reality that Old Testament like God took the Sabbath seriously, and uh, and Jesus is saying, man, I'm coming, and and I'm coming to bring a new covenant that's built on new and better promises.
0: Mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, a part of Matthew 12, which is, you know, why it's in the notes to read. And basically Jesus is walking through with his disciples. They're going through different fields and they're plucking the heads of grain off the top of uh, the wheat and they're eating them. And the religious leaders look at them and they said, hey, what you're doing by plucking those heads off the top of the grains is work. And they're criticizing Jesus and his disciples for working on the Sabbath. And I love his response. He says, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy. He's quoting scripture. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. And then he says, for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And they're coming at him saying like, no, you're, you're, you're breaking the Sabbath. This is wrong. This is wrong. He's like, who is Lord of the Sabbath? Me. Who gave it? Me. I'm Sabbath
1: maker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and again, I don't think that means that we can say, oh, God can break the rules because he's the maker of the rules. He's perfect. And he's not going to do things that are sinful or wrong, right? I think the point that you're making, Joseph, is perfect is that he is an authority over it.
0: hmm all right. Well, next question is: Why did the Jewish leaders wish to kill Jesus?
1: Because he claimed to be an authority over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. Like, they want to kill him because he's threatening their entire system. He, yeah, he was such a threat of understanding to
2: everything they knew and everything that they thought they had authority over, in some way.
1: Which comes back, like to me, the, uh, who said it? Is it C.S. Lewis? I think maybe that said, uh, "Jesus is either Lord." or a lunatic, mm-hmm. but he can't be both, you know? And and that's the deal. They're they're coming to the conclusion he's a lunatic that needs to die yeah. uh, because he's not Lord. But when he is Lord, you recognize his authority, and then you recognize that he's come with the new and better promises, and you get on board. But there is no in-between. You either have to decide that he's crazy or that he's Christ. And they decided that he was crazy.
2: And I think one of the reasons maybe they wanted to actually kill him is because he was gaining followers He was gaining followers that they, uh, you know, used to have control over or at least perceived that they had control over. And so they wanted to not only get rid of this lunatic, but put a stop to people following him.
0: Well, the reason I have this question in there, too, is as we journey through the gospel and see the full story, I think it's important to see the moments where they decide we're tired of this guy. We're going to start to plot to kill him. And he's claiming to have authority that makes him uncomfortable and you continue on, he, he kind of makes them look foolish too. Mm-hmm. They're trying to trap him with, you know, uh, perfectly worded questions and he just answers perfectly every time and they just get frustrated and they begin to look foolish
1: And if you continue on, they do kill him.
0: Yeah. Well, don't ruin the ending, Randy. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the end, Joseph. (laughs) That's not (laughs) the end. I've got good news.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, wow. (laughs) Thought you knew about this. (laughs) He is
0: alive. The Chosen's only to season two, guys. All right, well, it becomes clear that the religious leaders have lost sight of the original reason God gave the command. They've begun to care more about the religious institution and rules more than the people God wanted to protect and grow. And Jesus' interaction with the man reminds them that Jesus cared more about people than their tradition, and he wanted the man to have his life changed. So my first question after this is, in what ways do we make following Jesus more complicated than it is?
1: I mean, I think there is, if not a little Pharisee in all of us, there is certainly the potential, right? And and the reality is there is a correlation between people of faith and people who are religious. And religious people are, I think, particularly vulnerable uh, to this idea of of putting our practices and traditions and institutions. Uh, over people and it goes back to that idea of the Sabbath and the heart of the Sabbath and the purpose behind the Sabbath and I think it's so easy for us to get lost in some of that uh, and maybe sometimes what starts even with good motives exactly. gets distorted. That's
2: what I was thinking. Like like Adding these laws around the Sabbath may have started innocently because like Randy, you said earlier, it was clear that God took the Sabbath very seriously. And so it could be that they thought okay, let's figure out how to not break that law. Okay, then we need to make sure we don't do this and we need to make sure we don't do that and we need to make sure this. And then it just got carried away to where it became about keeping those rules more than honoring the Sabbath and obeying God's law.
1: Well, I think this picture is such a a wake up call because when a man of 38 years of paralysis Mm. has the ability to walk and you're not excited about that, but instead Mm. you're frustrated. Yeah. Like heart check. Mm. But what does that look like? I I think, I think we stop short if we don't turn around and apply that to our own lives and recognize as Mm -hmm. religious people that we're vulnerable to falling into this trap. And what does it look like to check our hearts? Because we can see it so easily in this story, but what does it look like to see it in our own lives?
2: Hmm.
0: Well, immediately after that, Jesus gave, or later in the story, Jesus gave the man a warning. He said, to go and sin no more so that unless something worse may happen to you. So what did Jesus mean when he warns the man that something worse may happen to you if he continued to sin? Oof. Oof. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I think, there's, I think there's a good deal of uh, solid speculation of what's going on here, while at the same time there's a possibility that it's multiple things. I mean, we know sure. what John tells us, and that's the extent of what we know um you know i think that it's it's solid to say that it's possible that what jesus is saying is that initially this man's paralysis was the result of some sinful decisions um and and we know that like we well i say we know that let's make sure we all know that that not everyone's illness sickness or inabilities are the result yes. of sin mm-hmm. sometimes it's the result of an accident sometimes it's the result of of you know a birth defect. Sometimes it's a result of a many things, but at the end of the day it is all the result of us living in a sin filled and broken world. world. Yeah. Right. All of all sickness and death is the result of sin in that sense, but it's not necessarily the result of someone's bad decision. Personal. There's plenty yeah. of people that are struggling and suffering, especially with physical things, that are not a result of their own sinfulness. So don't don't hmm. mistake that. Right. But there is the potential based on the language here that this man's inabilities were the result of some kind of sinful decision, which could have been lots of different things. We know what it's like, right? In modern day, for something that you chose to do that was dumb to leave you badly wounded. Uh, and, and I think that is the speculation that that's what's going on here in a sense. Mm. In another sense... I think something that we have to look at is Jesus approached this man, going back to what Michelle said earlier, and he initiates the conversation. This is not somebody with faith that's initiating conversation with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus initiates this conversation, and so in a sense, this man is half healed. Jesus' purpose in coming is not to heal physical wounds, it's to heal spiritual wounds. His primary, highest, and best is to heal the sinful heart with forgiveness and grace that only comes from God. And so in a sense, this man is half healed, and I I think what Jesus is getting at in, in, a, in a sense is I've healed you physically. I also have the power to heal you spiritually. If you want to, to be healed, you have to repent. Mm.
2: And we see that happen more than once that Jesus says you're healed and your sins are forgiven. Like you're physically healed mm-hmm. and spiritually healed. Mm.
1: But I also think let's not stop short of recognizing that when we come to Jesus, he says to us, go and sin no more. Like we're called. Yeah. Uh, we're called to, to, battle sin in our lives.
0: Well, so then last question is, what does it look like to stop sinning as Jesus instructed the man to do?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I've not (laughs) experienced that. We don't want to yell. You ain't got that yet? Yeah, no. I mean, I think that's an interesting question because we do, like I hope we all know, hopefully we're not all so religious and pharisaical that we don't recognize that we're continuing to sin. Uh, But I do hope that at the same time, we know what it looks like To truly battle sin in our lives exposed habitual Mm -hmm. sin that has been a stronghold and for us to to really do battle with that sin and to really see the lord eradicate a love of that sin in our lives and exchange it for a love of jesus that's ultimately what repentance is about it's an exchanging of loves where our affection for sin becomes an affection for christ and, uh, and that's not going to happen without us doing some battle against those sins with intentionality okay. in our lives. Now, will we ever get to the point of sinfulness? No, we're always going to have sins that we're battling. But I think the other thing that I want to draw out of this too is the same grace that gets us into relationship with Jesus is the same grace that then leads us into transformation. Yeah. It's not a. It's not a stop sinning because you are now working your way out of this. You didn't work your way into relationship with Jesus, and you're also not going to work your way into holiness. It's grace that's going to get you there and work transformation in your life.
2: And I think a key word in all of that too is battle. Um, it's not that we just accept that. Okay, I'm. A, I'm just going to keep sinning, so I'll just keep sinning and be cool with it and live with that. We battle it, and it is a battle. It is difficult, and we have to ask God for help with overcoming those sins and repenting of them and turning away from them. And like you said, replacing that with the things of God. And, you know, it kind of takes me back to that question about— adding to the Bible with rules and stuff. I think sometimes in an effort to stop sinning, we go back to putting rules on ourselves that um, maybe weren't actually in the Bible or maybe we'd take it, you know, to mean something different or something like, does that make sense? Like, I think we, we put these things on ourselves, and I think that's why it's so important to go back that's why, that's why being grounded in the Bible is so important. It's not, you know, you hear us say from the stage all the time, check what we say against what the Bible says. Don't take our word for it. Check it against the Bible. And I think that's so key as we try to go and stop sinning, to go to the Bible for help with that and to go to Jesus for help with that and not go to people's expectations and definitions for that.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what I was getting at. You're like, you, we don't justify ourselves. You're also not going to sanctify yourself. Yeah. It's not my works that got me into this relationship. And it's also not my works that are going to lead me to battle sin in my life. It's the work of the spirit, mm-hmm. you know, with the grace of God, it takes me back to the question of, do you want to get well? Yeah. Right. Like I think about it in these terms, like I am fully forgiven, completely accepted because of the grace of God. Now I could take advantage of that grace and just continue in my sin, which ultimately the Holy mm. Spirit's going to continue to work in us and make us uncomfortable with that sin, but I think it's like Jesus looking at us and saying, do you do you really want to get well or do you want to just abuse grace? Do you really want to to stop sinning or do you do you want to just take advantage of my goodness and forgiveness?
2: It would almost be like if the man, even though he had been physically healed, continued to go back and sit by the pool yeah. you know just in case
1: yeah he's like, now I can get in the waters when they stir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll pull
2: you down there in your little red wagon. <laughs>
1: but ultimately, I like, I like that it comes full circle to where we really envision Jesus looking at us and saying, hey, do you want to get well? This deal that's met, left you spiritually paralyzed or this deal that has created some kind of uh, lack of health and wellness in your, your spiritual life. Do you really want to get well? Do you really want to walk away from that sin and have that exchange of repentance where your your affection for that dies and your love of me grows?
0: And I think I put myself in that same interaction Jesus had with this man. He asked him, do you want to get well? And he immediately tells Jesus the story of, well, I'm trying. I'm, I'm waiting by the pool so I can be the you know first one in and I can get healed by the magical waters. And then Jesus is like, you're you're it's the wrong direction. Like there's no hope that lies in that pool. It's in Mm -hmm. me. And I just think about that same question. And I I hope, I I think Greg will go there with some of his messages of asking all of us, what are the things that we want to um, get beyond? What are the things that we want to uh, become better at or, or become well in the same sense of our lifestyle or our choices or our decisions? And just thinking, in what ways am I like that man? Where, man, I really wish I would stop doing this, or I really, really wish I could start doing this. And what am I doing about it? In very similar ways, I'm like the man. I'm like, well, I'm trying my hardest. I'm just sitting by the pool. <laughs> Yeah. yeah,
1: And I love what you're saying because it is so the same. It's like, man, your hope is not in Mm -hmm. that pool. Your hope is in this man, God, man, that's asking you if you want to get well. It's the same with our sin. My hope is not in myself. Mm -hmm. It's not in myself to fix me. My hope is in Jesus to do a work of transformation in me.
0: Mm -hmm. Like taking practical steps is powerful and important and changing my lifestyle and my decisions and the people I'm around and all those things are necessary. But ultimately it's, jesus that has the transforming power to well, make me well
1: it's because it's just like coming to faith it's this supernatural both and that is yes both the 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 pursuit of god on us but then also the surrendering of ourselves in faith faith is an element of this and it's also true in sanctification as yeah. we're being transformed too it's the enabling of the spirit and and the work of God in us, but there is a surrendering of ourself, you mm-hmm. know, and and you you can't make it exclusively about the one or the other, God's part or our part. It is this this dance, this this supernatural dance of the both and.
0: Cool. Well, great discussion. Thanks again for listening, y'all. And uh, if you want, feel free to leave a review because apparently that's what you're supposed to do with podcasts. For
2: real. Yeah. There's it's, a place to five yeah, stars everywhere. Oh
0: this this mom, big time i mom dad if
1: you're listening no. yeah
0: mom dad <laughs> now i'm gonna give us get five get my stars to <laughs> did anybody call you michelle i said to if you enjoy the podcast to uh, let us know call michelle she
2: got, you got a text i got a couple of texts oh yeah, I, I, yeah. I got zero but you said
0: michelle <laughs> i did say michelle yeah. uh, randy wants some love too no <laughs> well thanks for listening you guys and we will catch you next week